I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Round two. You want Here to talk? we go. Hello. Take two. Take two. All right, cool. <laughs> So hopefully we don't unplug any wires this time. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Melinda, Tanner, how you guys doing? We're doing good. Yeah. yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks um, for having us, Jake. So I think credit goes to Peter Hanna. He um he was like messaging me. He's like, oh, dude, like the podcast is so much. It's super cool. You know who you should have on? Melinda and Tanner. Oh, and really? And I literally, <laughs> I like actually slapped my forehead. And I was like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I definitely want to talk to you guys. Tanner, do you remember that one time where we went for a big walk, like around Plato's Closet, and then went through back through the mall and like was that near the Penn Center? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, and you were just telling me all stories from some of your YWAM trips. (laughs) It was it was super fun. I really enjoyed that conversation. I think we had um, did we have bubble those bubble bubble tea? I think so. Yeah. Well, that bubble tea is good. It's disgusting. What? It's awful. no, it's so gross. No, I can't stand them. Oh. I have learned to enjoy it. You've okay. You've grown. Yeah. To My it. first experience was really weird, but since then I've really liked it. Okay, gotcha. Cool. So you guys run the Niagara. Do, you, do they call them chapters of YWAM? How's that Bases work? is kind of the yeah the term? YWAM base. Cool. Or center. Can you guys tell me about that, like, or give people because I think a lot of people know YWAMs. But um, a lot of people might not. So can you can you tell me like the structure of what YWAMs look like? Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. So uh, YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission, and it's a global missions movement, one of the largest in the world. But what's very unique about it is it is completely decentralized. So there's no main YWAM headquarters anywhere. Every single expression and ba- YWAM base is completely individual and unique yet shares all the same core values as every other center around the world yeah we're connected by a unified purpose beliefs values and uh, more of a relational eldership around the world as opposed to a structural leadership cool and how'd you guys both get involved in ywam yeah i first heard about ywam in high school we both went to Eden High School, so it had a pretty big Christian influence there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people I knew did a YWAM's Discipleship Training School, or DTS, as a gap year program right out of high school. And I knew I wanted to take a gap year and do some sort of missions or Bible school. And so I was looking into a bunch of different options. And I think what really attracted me to YWAM particularly was that it really um, paired together both um, like biblical training as well as missions, whereas a lot of other programs focus tend to focus on one or the other mm. predominantly, whereas um, YOM's DTS pairs three months of um, biblical training and discipleship with three months of hands-on missions experience. So what did you do, DTS? So after high school, I did a DTS in Maui, Hawaii, so that I was there for my three months of lecture phase is what they call it, followed by three months of outreach in Taiwan and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did uh, a DTS in Australia in Adelaide. Uh, that was where my lecture term was. And then my outreach was uh, in the uh, Rio de Janeiro for the Olympic Games there. We did an outreach um, among all the tourists as well as the favelas that were further into the hills. Cool. So that was kind of our introduction into YWAM. And then from there, we decided to pursue more and more of the opportunities YWAM had to offer um, through some of their further training courses and then eventually taking in staff positions at different YWAM centers, um, fulfilling quite a number of different roles, actually, (laughs) before coming here to Niagara. Awesome. Well, like, we, we met all of you, we all met back in the Agave Valley days. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we staffed together. Yeah, and I, Tanner never staffed at Agape. I never got him to do it. I'm wow. still trying this summer even to get <laughs> yeah. him. Do it, man. I might. I might be able to. Yeah. But he would come to the teen camps in yeah. the evenings, yes. and I think you can, that's where you can finally officially join the ranks of someone who actually I was should. a staff. I at, need to at Agape. <laughs> do you guys like? Th- okay, think about it for a sec. When did we do LIT training at Agape? 
How old were they? Like like 14? I think it was younger. I think 13? it was like 12 and 13. Oh, wow. But just think about that. Like, it kind of hit me the other day. I was thinking of like good old, old times with all of us with Mr. H and stuff like that. <laughs> and we were like leading the camp at yeah. like 13, 14. That's crazy. Isn't it insane? <laughs> a decade <Yeah>. ago. <laughs> like, oh, oh my goodness. It is a decade ago. I'm 23 now. Isn't that crazy oh. though? Wow. Also, that's weird. I credit like a lot of my spiritual growth to agape and putting us in like positions of responsibility yeah that heavy that long ago yeah right yeah absolutely like i, I have a lot of respect actually for for them that the team behind agape for actually doing that and going that that far mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. putting kids in, in positions of authority mm-hmm. and even like bringing us up at like 13 14 and having us pray with each other like the guys and girls split off tanner you don't know this because we never did it but we'd, we'd go and we'd pray for like you know half hour 40 minutes before um camp would come up yeah like that's really that's a lot to put a 13 year old through yeah and good yeah. on them and training you how to share your faith mm. like those are some of the first times i remember like getting to share my faith with these young kids and them like accepting jesus into their life like yeah. that you get to like allowing a 13 like empowering them to be missional like that at mm-hmm. such a young age is really really amazing and i think one of like the aspects that set me on such a, a course to go into missions full time and really just gave me that passion for it yeah yeah i guess that's what i was wondering like was agape really put me in a place to love camps and then it was another camp actually that put me in a place to want to go to seminary Hmm. Um, but was agape like that for you like to put you on the track towards yeah i'd say were there there other things as well yeah for sure like agape i think was really special because i went there as a camper as a kid like from when i was like nine and then Hmm. going from that to being able to take on a leadership role there and yeah i think being able to be in a position of leadership in in a christian context i just had a just really gave me a passion for it and a love for it. And it allowed me to grow in my faith so, so much more than just going to Sunday school. Whereas like so many kids at that age, that's it really, like Mm -hmm. praying at a meal and going to Sunday school. And it just, I think, got me so much, yeah, farther and deeper into my faith and what like little kids would ask hard questions too, right? And it would make me think and it would make me want to study my Bible more and more too. And uh, from that, I also went to another camp, Lai in the States, and went through their counseling program. And I think that also continued to spur me on into that as well. And I remember at that time telling my dad, I really just want to be a camp counselor when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) But and then when I went to DTS, I remember thinking this almost feels like summer camp. It really (laughs) did because you're living together as a family in community and um, serving together and growing in your faith together. Mm. And just that close knit community is just, yeah, just this place of just such growth in your faith because you're spurring each other on like nothing else. Yeah. I I think when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever, that week at camp, two weeks at camp, we're probably both the most responsibility we were ever put under and also the most stress. Yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, you genuinely get put under a lot of stress when you're there. And that's why we're all like bonded. Like by the end of that week, you're like, you're looking at the people around you like, you're like my family right now. Like, I love you all so much. Holy cow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. It, was, it was great. Yeah. I miss camp so much. <laughs> Me too. Especially last summer, no camp. Yeah. Man. yeah. So, and then were there other things? Uh, is that kind of the whole encapsulation of, of why you started going to missions? Well, I think actually like growing up my early childhood as well definitely played a big part into that too. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) Okay, tell us about that. Yeah. So my parents were also missionaries and they're originally here from Canada. But when they were eight months pregnant with me, they really felt called into missions. And so they bought a boat and went sailing while eight months pregnant with me. So like very crazy people. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I was born into this family that was um, really on fire for living out their faith. And 
born into on a lifestyle of living on a boat which not many people do either (laughs) and so for the first 10 years of my life I grew up in the Caribbean islands sailing from island to island and um, my parents are missionaries connecting with local churches there hosting um, groups from uh, churches here in Canada on their yacht and um, yeah just sharing Jesus and so that I think instilled that value for missions in me from a very young age yeah that makes sense yeah i also totally forgot probably should clarify you guys are married yes yes we are i just like i all of a sudden realized like oh yeah two people here like what how are they connected at all (laughs) yeah so actually let's uh, you actually tanner then tell me what what for you what was missions like for you in your life like how'd you get around to this my parents were always very um supportive of missions and they had each gone through um, my mom went to, what's it called? University of the, or um, Christ for the Nations in Texas. Mm-hmm. Very missional university uh, in Texas there. And my dad went through YWAM as well. Uh, loved it and would tell stories about it all the time as I was growing up. And uh, and that really gave me a passion to, to experience the world and see other people outside of the context that I had grown up in, which was just Niagara, right? Yeah. I, I'd gone on vacations, but you don't get to experience culture and humanity um, when you're on vacation quite so much because the point is to relax and escape <laughs> yeah. all the woes of the world. And uh, so I had this kind of angst to, to really see the world and get to know people from totally different contexts than my own in high school, um, which led me to do DTS uh, in Australia. And that was a whole new experience. But before I even went to DTS, I was in Asia for two months um, wandering around with a friend of mine, we volunteered at a number of different organizations, kind of getting our feet wet into what is missions all about, um, why do people share their faith. I hadn't fully gotten that concept of sharing my faith uh, growing up very much. And so it was a totally foreign thing to me. Uh, serving the poor wasn't exactly um, my everyday Sunday because my parents lived in the country and we didn't like to drive too many places. So we, I never came to the inner city. And, uh, and so being in India and Thailand and Cambodia and seeing the, the struggle that people go through, the religions of the world that, um, that Christianity needed to reach. Um, mm. There's so many unreached peoples, especially in India and, and uh, East Asia. And, uh, and seeing the effects of that, of what lifestyle is like without Jesus, um, really gripped my heartstrings. And going into DTS and realizing that Jesus actually calls us to share our faith, calls us to make disciples... Um, calls us to to bring people together and show them the love of Jesus practically um, with our words, with our actions, was really impactful into mm. my experience and my, my formation as I grew in my faith in that season and still am. Um, and so that really, I think, was the key point in, in, in God calling me into missions and, uh, and having my heart just grip for the lost and yeah. the broken in the world. And seeing that that not only exists out there in in the far corners of the world, but also right here in Niagara, that we have folks um, who are far less fortunate than I was growing up and folks who simply don't have Jesus in their life and are lacking in so much um, love and support and care that that God Mm. provides um, the Christian. And so I have, yeah, God really showed me the power of his spirit in us and how that can can create so much life in abundance and I want that life in abundance for the people that I meet. So that, that mm. is the big picture of me going to missions. <laughs> cool. Was this like an active conversations for the two of you guys while you were dating or like, how did that work? I think so. Yeah. When we were dating, we talked a lot about our life goals and dreams and we each wanted to see the world at different corners of it and, uh, and follow God wherever he took us, whether that meant, uh, getting a job, going to school, serving in missions, no matter what shape or form we wanted to be radical with how we had God speak to us and how we followed his words. But I guess it was also a bit of a point of tension. Too, yes, there was a point. While we were dating, because we were also quite in, we started dating bef- in high school before we went on to do DTS with YWAM. And we did that separately. And so missions caused a lot of long distance for us which was really hard and um yeah during our relationship we kind of 
were definitely had those points of struggle like god are you calling us to do missions together or are you calling us to do missions apart in totally different places and so that was kind of yeah quite a process for us to discover Mm -hmm. and it actually had quite a funny story how it culminated to a point (laughs) too (laughs) do you want to share that sure yeah I've, yeah. heard, I've heard this story. It's completely ridiculous. <laughs> we had both really felt called into missions. And after coming home from DTS in different locations, um, I told Melinda, I said, I really want to pursue this thing. I want to I want to serve at different locations around the world and study with YWAM's uh, courses so I can get to know how to share my faith better, how to uh, serve people better um, in different parts of the world. And at the same time, Melinda had felt that God was calling her to study at university and somehow study at university at the same time as serving in missions. And that she didn't fully get that. It was kind of confusing to her, but she knew she was going to be at Brock uh, University here in Niagara for a period. And uh, so we felt like we're going in totally different directions. I want to go to the far corners of the world. Melinda is called here to to Niagara. Um, That's very different locations and very hard to be in a relationship much longer than nine months long distance, in our opinion at the time. (laughs) And, uh, and so I had applied to take a missional sailing course in Greece, which essentially would teach me how to serve on board a medical vessel um, with YOM. And that was supposed to start in April. But even before that, you were planning to Even go. before that, I was planning to go to different places. But I came down to, uh, to wanting to go to Greece and study sailing. And I had told Melinda that I was going to go study somewhere, but... Um, that made her pretty upset and just heartbroken that I was going to disappear again. And uh, and so I didn't want to mention exactly where I was going because Melinda loves boats and loves the ocean and loves the warm weather. And being in Niagara while I was in Greece sailing the Aegean Sea was not going to go over well. <laughs> Would have made her pretty upset. And so I d- opted not to tell her. Piece of <laughs> advice, don't do that. But... Uh, yeah, I guess 19-year-old Tanner thought it was a good idea to avoid the damage. <laughs> and, uh, and so one day at church, our pastor comes up to me and he says, Tanner, how did uh, my reference go for that sailing course? Did you get in? Did your application get accepted? And I hadn't told Melinda that at this point. And so I was like, yes, Peter, thank you. Let's move on and talk about something different. Melinda's right here. I, I haven't told her yet and trying to like hint that... We need to move on in the conversation. And uh, we continued on as though nothing had happened. And on the ride home, Melinda says, Tanner, what, uh, what is this sailing school Peter yeah, was talking about? I had to about? bring it up. Yeah. You, did, you pretended that the conversation never happened. This was a big lesson in communication, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to explain myself that, yes, I'm going to go study missional sailing in Greece um, for three months. And after that, I want to pursue something else uh, still with YWAM at the time. And Melinda says to me, that's very interesting. And I said, why is that interesting? I was racking my brain. You should be sad or devastated or frustrated or something. I'm going to leave for three months. And she says, no, that's interesting. I, uh, well, because I'm doing the same sailing course, I think. And little to my knowledge, Melinda was also hiding her ambitions um, (laughs) in a way. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm guilty too. She had applied for the same course to do that summer starting in April, um, right after her second semester had ended. And we realized that we were going to the same place, despite feeling like we were isolating each other from ourselves. um, We were actually, God was leading us independently to do the same thing at the same time. (laughs) Our parents didn't believe us. They thought we were in cahoots and (laughs) doing this organized behind the scenes. But we were totally surprised that that trying our best to follow God's Mm. um, voice to each of us independently um, had led us together, which really confirmed that that we can actually do that, that Mm. we can hear God and hear different things, and yet he will work it out far beyond our ability to plan. And so the last day that Melinda wrote her her exams for second semester, she uh, got on a plane the same day, eh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we flew to Greece and then studied sailing together for three months. And then went on to serve uh, missionary vessels uh, in Hawaii not that long after that. I think just a year after that, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Got married in between. Yeah. (laughs) Because it worked out. (laughs) Um, 
Have you guys read uh, Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot by chance? No, I haven't. <clears throat> so that she, it's, I, it's just so funny to me because a story of her and uh, Jim Elliot is yeah. like r- almost the exact same. They were <laughs> really? Like, yeah. <clears throat> they were struggling on whether, a slightly different story, of course, but they were struggling whether to get married or if they were right for each other or what was going to happen. And they both decided that they were going to pursue missions uh, as singles and then once they met to chat about it, they realized they were going to the exact same place. Wow. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> yep, well, happened to us. <laughs> wonder if uh, God's telling you all something. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's cool, though. Yeah. Um, kind of awful communication, but yep. very funny Yeah, story. big lesson. Big lesson. <laughs> but a, I guess a double-sided lesson. That communication is highly important, uh, but also that God has plans that are far above our ability to to manage we we can yeah. have ideas but his plan is so much better than our own yeah and following um faith requires trust that his plan is good even when it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um one of the things that i really love about talking to two of you guys because first of all y'all traveled to a bunch of countries <laughs> and done and seen a lot of stuff which is really fun um but also at least through ywam there's so many interesting opportunities you guys have straight up done adventure after adventure, but it's like gospel focused. It's Christ focused, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't even I hadn't even considered half of the ways that were that you could do something like that, and, and, like missions, adventure, travel, uh, purpose, and adventure all wrapped up into one, right? And to, and I hadn't known that there were so many avenues to that until really talking to you guys about YWAM. Um, there's a there's a guy I know, Richard Bout. He once told me he's like he thinks that God gives a sense of adventure to mm. people who are specifically called to missions. <laughs> like those often go hand in hand. And I thought that was really cool. Like a, a God-given <laughs> place for for a desire for adventure, which you guys have. You yeah. have to desire the unknown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the unexpected. That's missions. <laughs> the good yeah. and the bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, then you guys went to Hawaii. You guys spent a lot of time in Hawaii, right? Is that right? A good amount of time? We spent five months in Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. I had previously been to Hawaii for my DTS, uh, but on a different island, actually, than the one we went to together. Mm-hmm. And we spent, yeah, about five months there um, staffing a sailing school there, the same school that we had taken together in Greece. Okay. We um, staffed in Hawaii. And so they were kind of like an outpost for ships um, throughout the whole Pacific, reaching the isolated islands of the Pacific, as well as um, Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Nice. Interesting. And you had prior sailing experience. Was, like, a lot. Um, <laughs> Not really. Like, I no? was... I was Less than 10. Yeah, I was less than 10 when I was <laughs> okay. living on a boat. So, Fair like, my parents didn't let me do too much. Yeah. <laughs> I had a little sailing dinghy that I sunk, but... <laughs> Greece was a great amount of experience. Yeah, lots yeah. of learning. But lots even still, you don't learn everything all at once. No, so. no, we're not expert sailors yet. Yeah. I have a dream for us to sail around the world together one day. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> this is a good place to launch that from. There's a lot of, uh, of sailing um, experience, people around here, even just with Lake Ontario. Boats are really cheap. And you can go up the St. Lawrence and yeah. get to the ocean. Yeah. So I'm just saying, <laughs> take me with you, please. <laughs> no, yeah, that'd be that'd be super cool. How serious are you about the dream? Like, is it is it's it been quite happen? serious? Before we came to Niagara, we thought we would be sailing, uh, serving with YWAM in the Pacific uh, for many years, mm-hmm. and so that is still on our on our dream list. That maybe God will lead us back to the Pacific Islands, and we'll be able to sail, uh, reaching the isolated with hope and healthcare. Yeah, right after we got married we went on our honeymoon and then like pretty much straight after that went to hawaii and moved there and we were living in this little hotel room from the 1970s motel (laughs) from like the 1960s and so it's very small room and so it's just like a bed in a room um (laughs) but we ended up we didn't really have any home decor or anything like that but we got a bunch of sticky notes um 
from Walmart and just started sticking them on the wall in our room with all our dreams that or words of encouragement that God had spoken to us and spoken into our marriage and dreams for the future and things like that. And so we would just, whenever we had an idea or inspiration, we just write it on the sticky note and slap it on the wall. And it just started with a few, but then it started to grow and grow. And now it's we've brought the wall (laughs) yeah we've brought it everywhere we've traveled and now it's in our home and it covers the whole wall so sailing around the world is on there quite a number of times yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that dream wall was actually where kind of why the idea of why i'm niagara kind of got birthed out of Mm -hmm. because it was just these random sticky notes of all different things all different countries just all these inspirations and dreams that we had but one day we were just sitting on our bed and looking at it and we're like, I was Tanner, like a lot of those have to do with Niagara, which is kind of strange because we we love travel. We and we totally felt like we were called to the Pacific and everything. And but a lot of these no- little sticky notes had to do with Niagara. And we were like, huh, is God trying to get our attention about something? Mm-hmm. So we prayed about it a lot and uh finally felt the, the the strong word that God was in fact calling us back to our hometown. And uh, and so we said, well, what, what do we do now? And so we felt the calling to just get training on what starting a new YWAM expression meant because there wasn't a YWAM center in Niagara. Um, and so we spent a year in Australia. We moved to Australia, learned under a leadership uh, there, and they taught us basically how a how to pioneer a new YWAM ministry. And uh, that gave us a great tool belt to work from when the time finally came to move back. Gotcha. And then you guys have been here uh, for YWAM Niagara for two years, year and a half? Year and a half. Year and a half, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. That's crazy. I remember coming over for coffee and you were talking about like how cool it was that there were so many... uh, faiths represented in this area mm. in a lot of ways maybe not niagara specifically but even in toronto right i think toronto is the most multicultural city in the world at this point really yeah oh, i didn't wow. know that yeah i heard oh. that somewhere so there's like yeah just the idea that there's a lot on your doorstep and like mm-hmm. and you guys focus on niagara falls a lot too right yeah that's where we're, our office and center is and we we've we felt really called to base out of Niagara Falls as it's kind of the cultural core of Niagara. Yeah. Um, people visit from literally every country in the world go to Niagara um, in the millions. <clears throat> they say something around 20 to 30 million people visit Niagara every year in a non-COVID year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even with COVID, as we've been down there, um, just talking to people and getting to know their their lives and, and their perspectives, we've noticed that the nations are still there that uh, folks from across Canada are not just who you'd expect. They are from every country, every corner of the world um, you can find visiting Niagara Falls. Right. Is Niagara Falls one of the wonders of the world? It was at one point. It's debatable. It's debatable. There's a lot of lists, actually. There's not like an official seven wonders. Wait, really? Yeah, it's not a legit thing. (laughs) It's an idea of your imagination. I think the most (laughs) official one is actually ancient wonders of the world. Yes. Like that's agreed upon. The most solid. Yeah, but a lot of those don't even exist anymore. It's like the Babylonian gardens Mm. and things like that. Yeah, they fell a long time ago. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think the only ones left is the pyramids. Yeah. Yeah, but there's not really a t- an official, official seven I feel so, like, shocked by that. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's crazy, eh? You Google it, you'll get different answers every time. What are the modern wonders of the world? Huh. I guess the pyramids would be a pretty standard. Yeah. Did you guys visit the pyramids ever? I actually haven't. We've never been to the African continent yet. Okay. It's the no. only one left. we got to get Peter Hanna to take us Yeah, right. There. Yes, we do. <laughs> We've been waiting for the invite. Peter, this is your shout out. Take a shout <laughs> Um, You guys went to Antarctica? No, no, that's, well, like, no one lives there. I mean, oh, there's, on. like, 30 people that live there. On Literally, like... They the, still need Jesus, so maybe you could, but... I do want to go there. It'd be kind of cool, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, my, my two listeners from Antarctica are so miffed right now. You guys just insulted <laughs> them so hard. No, I highly doubt I have anyone who listens from Antarctica. What if they do? That'd be super rad. Yeah. If so, I'd invite us over. Podcast. It's, like, really far from you guys. So, what... What kind of things changed um, in you guys, like perspective-wise, over your journeys uh, through foreign missions? 
are there any things that stick out to you that you kind of went in into the whole experience and then maybe what two years at two years in you're chilling in 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 australia and like okay whoa this has really shaped my perspective it's a really broad question because i'm sure there's like Mm. so much (laughs) but there are a few things that you guys can think of that that's really changed in you oh where to start i guess (laughs) yeah i think there yeah there's a lot of things but one that came to mind um pretty quickly because i think because we're also here at roots where um yeah that you volunteer with uh Mm -hmm. the homeless and the our street family and tanner Mm -hmm. and i volunteer with the dream center that does similar work and i think going my experience with missions has really showed me how it's very difficult to love someone or something that you're afraid of (laughs) like like fear love what's the bible verse perfect love casts out fear yeah because i don't think love and fear coexist very well at all and um growing up i think i had a lot of fears about people like homeless people like i was afraid of them like don't go by them they're scary and when yeah when you're afraid of something you avoid it you don't want to be near it Mm. and so how can you love that yeah and i think that was a really um yeah impactful moment for me when we were in greece because we went to greece during the refugee crisis and the island we are on uh, the island of lesvos is about five miles from turkey so very very close and so it was one of the main islands that refugees were coming over from and so we would volunteer at these huge refugee camps that were just way too packed terrible terrible situations and i remember the first time going in looking at those people i was scared of them like really scared Mm -hmm. of them like these people from the middle east i know they're in like war right now like what's gonna happen in here and i think even because yeah actually (laughs) our very first night serving at the (laughs) refugee camp a fight broke out Yeah. yeah which turned into a riot and then we were into SWAT. <laughs> yeah, and we were evacuated from the camp. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, am I gonna get shot right now? Like what is going on? Where am I? Like I didn't feel safe. I was so scared. And I think that first day like kind of made me put up barriers around myself for the people I was interacting with because mm. um yeah, that made me really scared. Um and I think that's kind of natural, like being evacuated from a place because there's riots breaking out. But after we kept going back and back, um, I started to get to know the people personally. And as I started to get to know them personally and had started building those relationships with them, I realized that they're they're just people. Like, they're just like you and me. Like, they have good days and bad days. And they're going through crap right now. Like, terrible situations that brings out the worst in people sometimes. And that I realized, like, if I was going through that, I would probably, like, act terribly too sometimes. (laughs) Like, and yeah, it really, once I got to know them, it broke down that barrier of fear that I had. And then I felt like I was able to truly love them. And I think from that experience, I learned like the importance of just getting to know people, getting to hear their stories. And that's what I really love about missions is just getting to know people and hear their stories and just the different life experiences that are so different than my own, yet so powerful and so important. And it's so important to listen to other people's stories and their experiences and their lives and when we start to really listen to those it really breaks down the fear and it gives us the ability to love them mm-hmm. yeah that's so important because <clears throat> that's here too mm-hmm. yeah right because that's like a particularly potent example of like you really got to get challenged because it's a different culture tense atmosphere but those barriers of fear like exist in so many different ways and so many different people right totally and that's next door neighbor who's a bit of a weirdo that's you know mm-hmm. pick your situation mm-hmm. that's, yeah. a, that's a really good point yeah i think for me um a big i guess eye-opening experience um was when i was in india i was volunteering with a group that uh, worked with street children we'd bring them in for the day and have some programming and teach them some things um 
give them fresh clothes and good food. And so I had gotten to know the the local street children in a particular area of New Delhi over the course of a week. And uh, I went to get dinner one night after the program was over. And they all, I saw them in the town square and they all ran up to me. And one of them had uh, been attacked by a dog. And so I held his hand and I looked at it and it looked pretty bad. And so I took his hand and we walked to the, uh, to the, uh, what do you call it? Drugstore. Mm. Got some band-aids and just strapped them on. And all the kids wanted band-aids because they're super fun with <laughs> Scooby-Doo on them. And so we gave them all band-aids. And uh, as I was administering band-aids, uh, a gentleman just on the other side of the sidewalk was, I had noticed, staring at us at me and this group of children. And he was wearing a suit and holding a briefcase. And so obviously uh, from a different class of the, the Indian society. And he was just staring blankly, totally awestruck of the moment. And I asked him, can I help you, sir? And he says, just kind of stutters over himself and says, why, why would you touch them? And he was honestly baffled. Like I could hear the honesty in his voice, not the ignorance, not the, the arrogance or the, the condemnation of like, don't touch those people there. He was honestly confused. And that really struck me as not a moment where I could stand up and say, educate yourself. These people are worth your love. Like what the heck is wrong with you? You're a horrible per person. But instead I just said, because Jesus loves them and so do I. And it was, a, it was not my words. I wouldn't have come up with that in the moment. <laughs> but it left him totally awestruck. And I realized that you don't need to yell at people to force them to change. It's not going to work that way. You have to give them a living example of what mm -hmm. love looks like in a situation. And that if someone holds an opinion that is obviously bad for those around them, um, it's not entirely their fault, I guess. It's, it's a, I guess, a hard concept to put together, but that this, this gentleman was not a bad person for not wanting to touch um, what he deemed the untouchables of his society um, because he was raised in a society that taught him that. He was the product of a situation. He was the product of a, of a culture. But he needed to learn that he can, in fact, love those around him no matter what class of society they're from. And, uh, and what took it for him wasn't being yelled at or being told how terrible he was or that he needed to educate himself. It was just a, a living example and mm. an honest response for an honest question. And that I think really changed my perspective on other people's perspective that they are valid to think that. And if I want to teach them, I shouldn't yell at them. I shouldn't condemn them for their worldview, but just show them mine and learn together. Yeah, that's really powerful, actually. Huh. I'm literally always amazed at how many stories you guys have. <laughs> like, because I mean, I've, I've obviously talked to you guys more, but even now I'm hearing stories that I haven't heard before. <laughs> Can you, Tanner, if I, if, if I say the story of the man with the raincoat? Yeah, that's a good one. Am I remembering that right? <laughs> yeah. You, it's a, it's kind of a long story. It is. Let's try to make it short. Then. No, no, don't. That's my, my point. Don't, okay. don't make it short. We, it's a podcast. We got time. That story like stuck with me. Mm. Can you tell it? I can. Yeah. That was one of the first times that I had, I, I had heard God's voice clearly, like, like an, I guess a, a voice that speaks words you can understand, not just a feeling, not a prompting in your spirit, but a, a legitimate voice. And uh, that was while I was on DTS. We were doing an outreach um, in a village in Australia, um, in Tasmania, which is the southern island state. And uh, me and my team, we were sitting in the living room of someone's house who we were staying with. The host uh, was gone for the morning. And we were just wondering what to do that day. It was kind of a chill day. And so we sat around, and our leader... Uh, um, he brought up the idea. He says, why don't we pray together, see what God says, and act on what he says to us? And so I had never done that before. That was a very different experience of prayer for me. And But we all complied and said that'd be a great, I guess, uh, thing to learn how to do. Hear God's voice as a group together for the plans of the day, like very specific mm. things. 
And so we went off each individually and prayed and felt like God had given us words um, and pictures and things like that. And when we came back, we each expressed them. Someone um, got the, the word rest, that we as a group were just to rest for the, for the morning. Uh, another person got a, a picture of a rock, uh, another a picture of a park bench, um, a man in a yellow jacket, uh, a man with a beard, a man sitting on a park bench, the post office, um, coffee, buying coffee for someone, um, the word to give someone a, a word of encouragement. And, uh, and so we put all these together and we're just like, what do we do with that? And I was confused at the moment. I was like, this is just a big collection of strange things. <laughs> Did God really speak? And, um, and so our host came, came back from what he was up to and he says, hey guys, I got to go out again. Um, but later on, why don't I take you to my favorite cafe while I go to the post office? And uh, until then, you guys can just rest. And so we thought, wow, well, we'll, we'll be resting. That's that word confirmed. We'll go to the post office because he needs to get his mail and we'll go to his favorite coffee shop at the same time. And so those were three words right off the hop that we had felt God leading us to already uh, in action for the plans of our day. And so we rested for the morning, uh, just relaxed at the house and then went out and got coffee right next to the post office. And uh, as we walked into the coffee shop, a friend of mine on, our, on my team, she nudges me and she says, Tanner, look over there. And we turn and there's a dude wearing a yellow jacket. And in Australia, the postmen wear yellow jackets. Um, and so we, we said, well, we got to talk to this dude. We, we saw him in this vision that God gave us earlier in prayer. That's super weird. <laughs> and so we awkwardly walked up to him, uh, tapped him on the shoulder, and he says, what can I do for you? And we said, well, that's where it gets kind of weird, buddy. We, uh, we recognize you from earlier today. We were praying, and we felt like we saw a picture of you here in this coffee shop, and he was weirded out. <laughs> <laughs> And I would be too. And we didn't know what to say or what to do, but we knew we needed to get his attention. And uh, we realized that he had this long white beard. And uh, it was just crazy. There's this dude in a yellow jacket with a white beard. There's two more words already checked off. And uh, unfortunately, he left. And we're like, God, you led us here to this place. Why did he leave? We're supposed to talk to him and give him an encouraging word or something. Where's the rest of what you told us? When's that going to be fulfilled? And he left because he was so uncomfortable with the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, as we were walking or watching him walk out the door, realizing that we had just screwed it up, a voice came from behind us. And it was kind of a hipster cafe. Um, and so we turned around and the decor was very like park style. And there was a man sitting on a park bench that was bolted to the floor in front of uh, one of the tables. And we thought, oh my goodness, okay, we're, we're back on schedule here, God. <laughs> man on a park bench in the restaurant, that's a bit strange, but okay. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And we said, well, we were praying earlier today. We felt like we were supposed to, um, yeah, buy coffee for someone. We thought it was the him, but we don't really know what to do now. And he says, well, why don't you grab a coffee and come sit down and talk with me? And so we offered him a coffee and he thought that was great. And so we bought him something, sat down with him on the park bench <laughs> and, uh, and realized that the week before he had lost his wife um, to illness and he was just feeling so lonely and broken. And his kids were older uh, in their late 20s, I believe, and scattered around the world. One lived in China, if I remember right, and just in different parts, too far away to to feel comforted and cared for by his family. And, uh, and so instantly, Sophie and I knew, we we're like, we gotta, we gotta give this guy a word of encouragement. We gotta pray for him. We gotta just show him the love of Jesus in whatever way comes to mind. And, uh, and so, yeah, we did that. We, we prayed for him. We encouraged him. Um, and at the end of the conversation, he says, you know, this is the, the comfort I have been needing in this time of mourning of losing my wife. And he says, you know, if that's what church is all about, I think I want to go back. <laughs> and we said, well, bro, you can do that. If That'd be awesome. Church community is, this is what it's all about, is loving each other and encouraging each other, especially when we need it. And, uh, and then sharing that with others that we meet, following God's promptings um, as best as we can. And so he left, very encouraged. We were awestruck with what God had done, um, but we're missing one last word, and that was a big rock. And we thought, okay, we've 
We've seen everything that God had told us in the morning happen, except for this word about a giant rock. And uh, our host came back in from the from the post office, and he says, guys, why don't we go on a quick hike? And we step outside of the cafe, and he drives us through town there. And at the end of the of the village, there was this massive outcropping into the ocean of about a 500-foot tall rock and he says we're gonna climb it and so we did and we watched this beautiful sunset descend over uh, the tasman sea and it it all came together so beautifully that it almost doesn't seem real (laughs) that god can be so intricately involved in our day-to-day activity and lead us so minutely and cares that much to want to speak to us about the minor details the the specific things and uh, it baffled me and yeah, changed my perspective a lot on hearing God's voice and following. That's incredible. And neither of you guys um, come from church traditions that emphasize that kind of thing, right? Is that, is that correct? It was a new thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hearing God's voice like in that way, mm-hmm. yeah. very specifically. I had I had the concept of, of hearing God speak in my spirit or Melinda, I know you had... You grew up hearing God through through the Bible a yeah. lot, um, but hearing God speak that minutely um, in Very a group personally setting, personally, yeah, and yeah, corporately, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a whole new experience, and so really opened mm. the door to exploring the many different ways that God speaks to us. Um, yeah, more than just that, and more than just through the Bible or through our spirits, and He speaks in so many ways, and we have only to just listen. <laughs> yeah, I love it. The, you guys have a lot of purpose it, it just seems to kind of radiate from you guys like when you're telling your stories it's it's so cool to me because i love it i love just going on adventures right like i love travel but sometimes it's sort of you get to the end and it's like I, I, we just experienced that's mm. pretty much all we just kind of just took mm. for ourselves whereas what you guys are saying you're putting yourself through these things but there's there's this common goal that undergirds it which I think is really awesome to hear. I hope people are inspired <laughs> to to do these kind of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's something you don't need to go far at all to, to experience. I've known that. Coming back to Niagara, I've realized that God moves in crazy ways even mm. right here in our own backyards. Yeah. Have you guys seen anything? Like, Do you have any stories that are local that are worth sharing? I think for me, the the most bold one, I think, was uh, how we came to be where our office and ministry center is right now. Um, after Melinda and I got back from Greece, I was wandering Niagara Falls, praying over the city, just saying, God, I've, I've experienced a lot in Greece. Um, I've realized that there is poverty in my own backyard here in Niagara. How can I have a difference? How can I make a difference in this city? How can I use what you have given me to bless others? And uh, it had never dawned on me before to really get connected and serve Niagara. Um, and so for the first time, I was really just praying, God, how can I, how can I make a difference here? And uh, I came to a, a street corner in Niagara Falls along Queen Street and um, felt like that was where I was supposed to stop. And I, I came across this beautiful building, like just a stunning piece of architecture, totally abandoned. And uh, these kids came running up to me on their bikes, and they said, Sir, have you seen our brother? He's about yay high. He ran away this morning. Uh, He's about seven years old. And I was like, bro, if you're seven years old and you've run away in this part of town, like, that's not super great. Can I call the police? Can I help you search? And they said, no, we've already called the police. If you haven't seen him, thanks. And so they biked off. And it really made me see, wow, there's, like, broken families in Niagara. Mm. And uh, and then this, this truck was idling behind me. And began to pull forward, um, which was kind of sketch. I was like, I don't know, what I, <laughs> this truck coming up beside me. And it rolled down its window. And uh, I was kind of weirded out by the whole thing. But then this sweet elderly gentleman popped his head out. And he says, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? And I said, wow, I didn't expect to see you. <laughs> I'm uh, just admiring this beautiful building. I'm praying around the city. I'm a Christian. I'm just asking God how I can get involved here. And he says... Uh, that's ah, very interesting. I, I, I really appreciate that. I grew up here. I've, I've watched it go from its lowest to its best to its mediocrity, etc. 
and told me a lot about where we were. And uh, at the end of our wonderful conversation, he says to me, I got to go, but you know what this area could really use? And I said, no, I, I, I don't know. And he says, a great school. And then he drove off. And I instantly thought, it just blew up in my mind, a great school that teaches people how to have a missional passion, how to live with great purpose, empowers them to serve others here and abroad. And I thought, oh, YWAM school, this area needs a YWAM base. And that was one of the moments that YWAM Niagara uh, began to really burst mm. to life um, for me. And uh, the, the wildest part of that, that moment was two and a half years later, three years later even, um, when we moved back to Niagara and were trying to start the YWAM Center here. Um, we approached a number of people about where we could host our classroom and office space mm. and uh, came across a guy named Fred, uh, who was part of the leadership of a place called The Storefront in Niagara Falls along Queen Street. And he says, we've got our space. It's not used. Um, it's completely open. If you'd like to use it for your YWAM things, that would be great. And lo and behold, it was on the same corner that that moment <laughs> took place three years earlier. And I, had, I asked him, do you know much about YWAM? Do you know much about what we want to do? And he says, well, actually, uh, about 10 years ago, I hosted a YWAM team. And they stayed at my house. And so I'm all for it. I love you guys. I, I want to support you in whatever ways we can. And I just thought to myself, this is wild. Like, only God puts that together. That mm. right where I was so inspired to pursue the calling that he was putting on my heart to, to start YWAM in Niagara is nearly exactly the same place, down to nearly the square foot, <laughs> where he is having us officially start. And that was amazing. That was a real moment of, God, you are just incredible beyond my ability to plan again. That's yeah that's crazy yeah man um what does funding look like for doing all this travel that you guys are doing like how does what's that conversation look like i don't know that's kind of the honest question that popped into my mind where i'm like y'all those are plane tickets to get to half these places right? <laughs> it's not cheap no, no. <laughs> yeah so YWAB is not does not give salaries to any of their missionary staff everyone um mm -hmm self-funds through their own churches and networks and families and so yeah it's very faith building and faith yeah that you have to rely on other people to um to believe in what god is calling you to mm -hmm. and to also humble yourself in order to ask mm -hmm. for and make your needs known mm -hmm. which is very humbling and very difficult at times but it's also been really phenomenal just seeing how God really provides for us always right when we need it often very to the last minute <laughs> we've <laughs> discovered <Yeah. laughs> but always provides for the needs often in the most mysterious ways and from the people you never would expect it from mm -hmm. and then sometimes from the people you would expect it from it doesn't come and which can be confusing sometimes too mm -hmm. um but it has been such uh, a faith journey and so yeah right from like the discipleship training school um all, all the way of, to leading a base all the way to leading a base all of that is fundraising and entrusting god to provide for your needs mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it, is, it has been amazing to see how God provides miraculously in some mm -hmm. situations and other times how he works through his church. And I think that's his deepest desire mm -hmm. is that the church would rally around each other yeah. and, uh, and that we would be incredible supports to each other. And so that has been a privilege when Melinda and I get to get to support missionaries, which you don't think would happen if we're missionaries being supported. How can we even afford to support others? <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, yeah, it's amazing to see how God's God's currency or God's uh, economy is just exceptional when it works well. Yeah, seeing... fueled by generosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've been blessed by so many um, that support us on a monthly basis who have, who have supported us um, with great donations at different times and been so blessed to see God's hand move in miraculous ways. Um at so many different times <laughs> yeah yeah the 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 church tradition that i come from 
is it slightly different, I think, in that like when one missionary is supported by a single church mm. and it's like part of the budget of the church, yeah. right? Um, so it's kind of interesting because I know that's that's true for most missionaries is that they do their own fundraising, right? Yeah. Which is definitely, I would imagine, one of the more stressful elements of it or, or no. It can be, but not <clears throat> always. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it comes to your heart posture in some cases, at least for us, it has been there are times where we have noticed that we want control mm-hmm. and then had to step back and realize, wait, no, we are trying to grip too hard onto our own lives. That if our lives are, in fact, fully submitted to God and he does take care of his children, he will supply our needs when we need them. And in ways that that are what we expect and in ways that are not what we expect. And so I think often when we feel that level of stress, we ha- we, we look introspectively mm. and have to see that we are gripping too hard onto, onto our own lives and control. That no matter how hard I work, my money is still the Lord's. Yeah. And so he can give it and he can take it away. And, uh, and so for us, that has been a big learning curve of faith and understanding that Jesus is Lord of our finances. And what does that look like? It means trusting him when you have a lot and when you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think missions in general is a very high stress environment. Yeah. <laughs> because everything is very uncertain. Mm-hmm. Right. In so many aspects. So I think it's like this learning of how to handle stressful situations and how like to just practice that discipline of bringing those feelings to God and laying them down at his feet. And just accepting his peace, even when the circumstances are not peaceful. Right. I've learned a lot from David in the Psalms that it is okay to complain to God. (laughs) And okay to be upset. So long as we don't grip control onto it ourselves. We say, God, I bring you my frustration, my angst, my needs. It's annoying. It's terrifying. Um, But at the end of the day, you are Lord. And so I love that example that David gives us that, that I am allowed to complain and be upset and be frustrated. Yeah, yeah but, to be honest <coughs> to God yeah. with your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, be willing to lay them down. So that has been, yeah, our experience with funding. We've had every different type of story of where funds have come from. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but you know, I, I had a, an elderly lady who is a past missionary explain to me um, that God is okay with wasting money if it means teaching you something or reaching someone. Hmm. And that was a big lesson for me, I think. She had, uh, she had been living in India and had friends in um, Scotland, I believe. And she felt the Lord say, I need you to go and visit them. And so she spent a lot of money to get a plane ticket from India to Scotland, um, got on the plane, but it was landed prematurely somewhere in England. And so she got on a, on a bus and was headed for Scotland. Um, but the bus shut down. And so she was stuck partway between where she was and where she wanted to be. And, uh, and was sitting in this, this bus station with another woman. And just like, I think the rain was pouring. Like it was just every bad moment. And she says, I was sitting there complaining to God, saying, God, you have called me to go to my my friends and family in Scotland. Why am I not there right now? Like, obviously, there's some sort of major blockade. (laughs) And uh, she just felt the Lord say, talk to the woman next to you. And so she acted on that, despite her angst, (laughs) and uh, and spoke to the girl next to her who needed encouragement, needed prayer, and needed an opportunity to come to the Lord. And at the end of the conversation, she was encouraged, um, but still asked God, what am I to do now? Like, we're still stuck here. And felt God say, go back to India. And she said, God, that's a lot of money. I came all this way for my friends and family, and you want me to go back. But she did. And for her, that was such a lesson of that God doesn't spare an expense for that one person sitting at the bus stop. He will send someone from India if he wants to. And if he wants to use someone who's in England already, that's fine. (laughs) And so for Melinda and I, that has been a, a big thing of not wanting to control our finances for what is reasonable, but to say, God, what is it that you want us to do? Even if it doesn't make financial sense, even if it doesn't seem reasonable or realistic, if you are calling us to it, we want to follow 
uh, and we know that you will supply if that is if that is where you want us to be and that's a big bold step of faith sometimes yeah. where you say god i don't think this is realistic or necessary really right realistic financially realistic just for the fact of it being unrealistic why go all this way for a short period of time can often not make a whole lot of sense but uh but has been a big learning curve for us Mm -hmm. as we've we've learned to just say yes if if we come to the complete conviction that god is calling us there we will go no matter the cost (laughs) yeah something we go by is to hear god obey and don't quit (laughs) step three is often the hardest yeah (laughs) you can take the first initial like two pretty well and then you come to a point of saying okay we're we got to backpedal a little bit or we got to go all in yeah yeah do you guys do you guys think uh the dts um is a good first step for someone who's considering because how long is that six months it's a six month thing okay Interesting. So that's that's more than a summer. Yeah. And so that that's kind of a year. That's kind of like work six months, do that six months kind of thing. So you're taking a gap year. Really yeah. don't do one of those. Yeah, I think that's a good step for, for missions, if someone interested in missions. Or do you feel like, or is there like something that people should do beforehand? What's, what's kind of a, I don't know, I should rephrase this. What's your advice maybe to someone who might listen to this and go, what you guys do sounds incredibly meaningful. I want to explore that. Yeah, we often say DTS is for everyone, but not for everyone right now. Right? Huh. That's, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and pretty much that, yeah, it's this amazing program that is this really, really faith building, but it's also not for everyone right where they're at on their faith journey. Right. Um, because it will stretch you a lot a lot and i think a lot of people have other some different um ideas of what dts is because it's not a counseling program they're not Mm. this dts staff are not trained professional counselors um and it's not just a bible school it is a missional program so you have to be ready to um, step out of your comfort zone hardcore <laughs> go to places that are weird meet people that are strange and I think people that are ready are open to doing those sort of things mm-hmm. oh, ready at a heart posture to say yes to the unexpected and ready to grow and ready to learn mm-hmm if you are really open to learning and growing and stepping out in those uncomfortable situations and that also that DTS isn't just um, a one-time thing either that sets you up for the rest of your life that it's really just the beginning too it's not the be-all end-all whatsoever right but it does have a lot of really great tools that equips you with that you can run with for the rest of your life and continue Mm. to build on and tools to help you study the Bible, to know what a good discipleship and mentoring relationship looks like um, and how to share your faith Mm -hmm. and how to um, pray, intercess for the nations. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I know a a phrase that a lot of young people, uh, Western Christian young people say, and I know it was one that I had said, um, was I'm going to give God a year of my life. Mm. And... That has been something I've been thinking about recently. Give God a year of your life is what DTS is. It's it's students who want to come and grow in their faith for about six months to a year. But in the DTS, in that one year of your life, you'll realize that God wants your whole life. And so it's it's that doorway of give God a year of your life and you'll discover that he wants your life. <laughs> right. Scratch out a year of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that is that is the the calling of every Christian. No matter what passion you pursue, if you're a Christian, then God wants your whole life, not just a year of it. And uh, and so that is an interesting, I guess, doorway for young people who are seeking to grow in their faith and grow in their understanding of, of missions and and the Bible, etc. Um, is if you give God a year of your life, you'll learn very quickly He wants the whole thing. <laughs> totally, totally. And it will be to your benefit. Yeah. What do you say, guys? Should we wrap it up here? Sounds good. Yeah. How long do you think we've been going for? 
Has it been an hour? Yeah, it's been an hour. Wow. How long do you go usually? (laughs) I don't know, as long as we want to. Cool. (laughs) Because if if you guys have some other thoughts or stories you want to share, we can, like, keep going for as long as you want. (laughs) Only as long as you got questions. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I think think this has been really good. And hopefully, I'm inspired by conversations like this. I love chatting with you guys. And I hope other people will listen to this and and want to pursue missions. Mm Because I think think there are a lot more spots mm. that need to be filled yeah right and i yeah. i know we've talked about this a little bit before like there's a lot of there's a lot of horsepower in niagara yeah there's mm. pe- people power horsepower i don't know why i said that <laughs> there's there's a lot of boots that could be marching mm. that i think maybe want to be marching but are struggling to find where to go exactly yeah and often so, waiting for the invite yeah and this I, is the invite <laughs> this is the invite <laughs> join us join us <laughs> No, and and I think it, I, I think going on DTS is is am I saying right? Uh, DTS or is it just yep. going DTS? Either I guess. Yeah. I think sure. A DTS, a DTS? Yeah. yeah. A discipleship training school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Could be a really great opportunity for for someone. Yeah. To you know spend a year to start their whole life. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thank- well, thank you so much, Jake, yeah. for having us. Yeah. We love chatting with you. Awesome. Until the next chat under the sun. Uh-huh. <laughs> See you guys. thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation i really appreciate it if you enjoyed it consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz it's immensely helpful i'm all about having meaningful interesting conversations so if you know of someone i should talk to hit me up on instagram at it's the volk have a good one guys